Welcome to FEPS Talks, the podcast series of the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. Find out more about us on feps-europe.eu. Hello, uh, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to FEPS Talks. This is the podcast of FEPS. I'm Charlotte Billingham, Senior Policy Advisor uh, working on climate, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Luke Bass, who is Director of the European Regional Office at the IUCN, which is the International Union for the Conservation of Nature. We're also recording this for the World Environment Day this Friday, the 5th of June. And very fitting because the theme this year is time for nature. Luke, many people have been brought much closer to nature during the lockdown and we've been able to see the spring really develop and flourish this year. What do you think the long term consequences of this will be? Yeah, I think people have started to understand or value nature more because of rediscovering it, seeing how it actually revives when things are slowing down. And of course, those that were close to parks or close to green spaces, just that simple fact made it much uh, more bearable to go through this lockdown. And we see, of course, we saw wildlife in cities, the craziest things. And it's interesting to see how when we don't do anything, nature will thrive again. Maybe we understand also better that it's not about saving the planet. We are actually safeguarding the ecosystems that provide our well-being. And, And I think the overall understanding has grown. That's the hope one has. And you see people talk about resilience and you see that reflected in, in a lot of the rhetoric now and, and having to take care of nature more because it's one of these deteriorating nature is one of the consequences or, or causes of these of these zoonic diseases that are jump over to human population. So hope, yes. But then there is a big but, of course, because as we go back into some sort of normal, it seems to be that people are forgetting it also. Um, and and the back to business as usual is or seems at least to be accelerating again. So I'm a bit cautious, but I want to think the glass is half full, yeah, and that there is a there is a bigger understanding and a good opportunity to use this crisis for the best and not waste it. Yes, and now with approaches such as One Health uh, seem to be gaining more attention. Can you tell us more about this and also the work of IUCN in this regard? Of course, it's um, incredible that these two strategies have come out the way they came out. It has or it was delayed for about three months. Uh, The first delay was not COVID related. The second one was obviously COVID related. But the whole background was, of course, the quite heavy discussions within the Commission and very often outside the Commission and um, exerted influence on shaping these strategies for different interests. So it was a horrendous big task uh, for the Commission. And then releasing these documents, we are overly positive from ICN's perspective. I also personally really think uh, this is holding a lot of uh, great opportunity. Um, I don't think I need to take you through all the highlights specifically. I think the connection between the two is one of the most important uh, novelties here. Of course, these two documents come without any real underground or national action yet. There is, it is a strategy, there are two strategies. We see the discussions now happening on, on how to make it uh, work and, and finance. And that, of course, starts to be a different discussion. But if you look at the target, the 30% on land and the 30% in, on sea uh, or marine uh, to be effectively managed, um, at least on the marine side, that is a big improvement. On the land side, one can argue it could have been a bit more ambitious, but still, it is also a matter of 
managing these areas effectively. And Natura 2000 network, of course, has always been and still is uh, the jewel on the crown and something we are, we can rightfully be proud of uh, in the international context. The challenge is a bit more in the in the way they've been managed. And, and for that, for example, ISN uh, proposes a green list of protected areas to make sure that these areas are properly managed. It's interesting to read that the one third of that area should be strictly protected. That is still open for quite some debates. And ISN has been questions a lot on this because we have provided this categorization of protected areas and how to manage them. So that's uh, that debate's definitely not finished. So still quite some open ends, but also good direction. An interesting line, and I will we'll stop with this one on the biodiversity strategy, is that it talks about a significant proportion of the 25% of the EU budget that is now allocated to climate change action uh, would be dedicated to nature-based solutions and biodiversity. But significant is, of course, very open to interpretation. It's clear that we will have to scale this up. And then um, on the farm-to-fork strategy, I think uh, crucial to see that there is um, a lot of proposals that, in fact, should be seen in the new CAP approach on the common agricultural policy. That is still an open end. Uh, we've seen that there was 26 billion, I believe, uh, don't don't pin me down on the number, but uh, a lot of extra money for the common agriculture policy, but it doesn't seem to be coming with uh, with a lot of uh, green checks um, at the moment. So yeah, the rhetoric versus where we have to go is is going to be challenging. But overall, yeah, we at ISN see the glass half full. Really, um, we now need to see ambition at the national level. And that has to be very concrete. And it can be very concrete. It's not difficult. You, you can uh, bring an extra designation of protected areas to the table. You can showcase and prove the good management of your areas. You can buy investing in them. And I think we should really talk about investing in nature protection and conservation. But also in restoration, there is a good opportunity to have national governments really show and lead the way by pledging, uh, for example, in this um, bond challenge to restore 350 million hectares globally. Currently, there's no European pledge. So this biodiversity strategy should put national governments to the responsibility. And then finally, it has to be clear that there will have to be more public financing for protection and restoration of nature. There is no doubt. And only then, uh, and with a good natural capital framework, we will see uh, some private investment uh, being scaled up. But that, uh, that those things will be really important at the national level. And I think this should happen before there is full and fledged agreement at the EU level. And a beautiful opportunity is the ICN Congress that is now being postponed to January, which gives us another six months to collect these pledges from national governments in, in Europe, and then we can go with a credible voice to the international negotiations. Yes, and on investment, um, at the same time, the COVID recovery package and the next EU budget is currently being hotly discussed. Um, the Commission president announced last week the budget of 1.85 trillion euros with 750 billion for the recovery fund, which they're calling Next Generation EU. Now, how far do you think this budget can help our societies really build back better? Well, we've been looking at this recovery package very carefully. And from a, how should I say, more classic green economy approach, there is clearly a good willingness and, and good alignment to make sure that the Green Deal in itself actually becomes the recovery. I think that's the attempt, or was clearly the attempt from the Commission, and one, there shouldn't be separate issues. When you look a bit more into detail, it, it of course becomes much more open for interpretation. And as we are now in our discussion here, focusing on this nature-based solutions and, and, and to, to look at how can we scale up investment 
in nature-based solutions, uh, that is much less visible, hearable, and, and much less written about. So it's quite striking how, how it is not reflecting the rhetoric um, on nature and biodiversity that we have heard earlier. Of course, the climate and the biodiversity crisis are one and the same, or to say, very much linked, and the one brings solutions for the other and vice versa. Um, so we need to connect these agendas. And especially when you look at the climate agenda, nature-based solutions are being talked about. So that's good. Again, the UK uh, hosting the COP26 makes nature-based solutions quite a central uh, theme even. And so I think it will hopefully, and it is going to be reflected also from what we heard from Hans Timmermans. But then we have to see this reflect in the numbers, of course. And it starts with public finance. And as I said earlier, and then we have to see how we can unlock also private finance. Just to be clear, um, this package is an impressive package. It's bigger than expected. We will have to watch very carefully how it will be used and how it will be checked and balanced and not used for unnecessary bailouts or to use the opportunity to make it take a different direction. But ultimately, I think what it has to trigger is, and this is in the context of climate justice, or if you want to call it environment justice or sustainability justice, uh, but it's ultimately about redistribution. It's about redistribution and, and such a fund should be spurring off a redistribution effort and should ultimately also translate into uh, different fiscality, different fiscal approaches, different taxations, because ultimately we there, all the money is out there to solve all the challenges we're confronted with, but it is just not in the right place. And if this recovery package steers the even bigger spending in the right direction, then uh, then it will have been successful. That's ultimately what the EU wants to do, eh? because if you look at the actual number, it's a lot of money. But if you look at all the national budgets together, and if they would be spending their money in the right way, then there would be much more resources to do the right thing. Yes, you talk about nature-based solutions, and this is one of the five guiding proposals that FEPS included in the United for Climate Justice policy paper, brought together with the Special Steering Committee, uh, which you were a member. And now we often hear people talking about natural capital at the moment or ecosystem services. And also we've heard about shovel-ready jobs. What Can you explain to us what is meant by this and what types of policies do you think this should entail in the post-COVID situation? You're right when you say that, again, there has been a lot of talk about natural capital and, and, and nature-based solutions, and it has accelerated. So it's also been talked of uh, in many more fora where before it was not a subject at all. So that is a good thing. The challenge with the approaches is that they are necessarily, but they are very scientific, uh, try to be science-based as much as possible. It's something that ICN also uh, stands for. But there is, of course, limits to having everything perfect and waiting until everything's perfect before you start uh, using a tool. To be clear, GDP is, has never been perfect and, and is definitely far from perfect today. Um, but we need to measure differently. And with that, I wanted to clarify a few things uh, on what is an indicator, what is an asset, what is natural capital. Biodiversity is, in fact, not something that we can really touch. It's actually a description. You have high biodiversity or low biodiversity. It's, it's an indicator, um, and it, it gives you an idea and a very good indication of the health of your ecosystem. But it's ultimately the natural capital itself and the ecosystem services that come from natural capital that is what we need to protect. Accounting natural capital, if you want to do it perfect, it's incredibly complex. And so what we need to do is to find a simplification on the safe side, 
with underestimates in favor of nature. To value this, it's only going to be, in the economic context, only be one value when it comes to the monetary value. Uh, but no, there is none at all. And so it's worse to have none than to have some. We can never forget that there is so many other values to nature. But to start having the debate with the, let's say, the hard financial system and the economic system as we know it, and we won't change this overnight. We need to make a start to change it and the context needs to be different and then nature will be valued intrinsically and automatically. But it's not where we are. And if we want to be on the table, at the table, to find the resources uh, to protect and to restore nature, we need some natural capital accounting. So that's clear. The challenge is that it's currently still an academic discussion. We are talking to companies to do this. It's a We Value Nature project that we're involved in. Um, but where it has to really get to is to an EU-level natural capital accounting system. Potentially a simplification from reality, but a first start to properly integrate the, both the, the services, but also the cost created by destroying nature. The reason the climate agenda had some success was, first of all, the fact that there was a business case to do it. And the business case was created by energy savings and by moving away from imports of, of fossil fuels and what have you. So the business case in the same way we will have to make from, on nature, but we need to get it into some framework that will uh, will allow for, for real accounting. And again, one can hope that this crisis has made people think about the risks imposed by not investing enough in nature. And it's not only the financial risks in the classical way. And this morning, there was an interesting uh, Finance Watch event together with the Club of Rome in which that was discussed and where I think in the financing and in the economic context, we need to look at risks in a different way. And hopefully this crisis could lead to that. Yeah, thank you for that very important description. Um, I think that that sets it out very clearly. Another expression that's come into, into these debates as well, that's gaining more traction, is this approach of one health. Can you perhaps tell us a bit more about this and also the work of IUCN in this regard? And Well, we are obviously not a health organization, so I don't think we are the best place to make that very strong connection Everything that ICN does is always in the context of sustainable use of livelihoods, uh, people with nature for nature, and not uh, and nature not against people, and and so that there is always this social element in what ICN does. Very much also into the just transition. Now, if you look at the One Health element. I think it's now very beautifully reflected in the farm to fork strategy because it was DG Sanko, the health uh, department, the health director general of the European Commission that was actually in the lead for that strategy. So one can see that reflected there. Uh, we see this, of course, um, when you say One Health, there are many interpretations. I didn't look into detail, but it's health of people and health of nature and how they go hand in hand and, and how we can see that when one is not healthy, then, then the people's um, health is, is going to be much more challenged. We see it on nature deterioration. And of course, at the same time, we see this as climate change is developing uh, rapidly now. So we, we try to look at these health perspectives as a part of outcome of what the nature-based solution has to deliver. It's, um, it's a societal benefit and the health benefit, obviously, and especially also in cities, has been proven uh, repeatedly. And we take it very much into account in our work uh, in the urban renaturing um, efforts that we are involved in. And um, do you have any ideas or something you'd like to tell us of how we can empower people also to do more towards revaluing nature? Well, I think when people's voices heard or when people make their voice 
heard in a democratic context, the politicians should be uh, um, listening to that. I think the message from the youth on the climate, climate marches as we know them, have had some impact. One can, of course, argue not enough, but it has had impact. I think the message on nature has only been a bit more in the margins as, as okay, finally, we want to protect nature, but ultimately it's about uh, it about yeah, how we can... How can we have um, our welfare guaranteed? And I think that is where we come to a point where if people, the empowerment of people, in my view, starts with understanding that, especially in the OECD countries, we will have to consume drastically less. This is the only fair way to get things uh, achieved, both for climate change and for nature deterioration. It's really our footprint that is causing all this um, this damage. And if you want to do this in a fair way at a global level, you need to start planning the benefits of less consumption. And that's not easy. But I think the empowerment, the big empowerment from people will be when they are happily consuming less. And that's not easy, but that is where we ultimately have to get to. In many discussions, I've felt people have started to look at values in a different way. And maybe one of the things out of this crisis, again, can be a reduction on uh, materialism, which is ultimately driving us in the wrong direction and has been driving us in the wrong direction for decades now. Yeah, I think that this crisis very much is a test um, and an awareness awakening, let's say, of, of how we are consuming and producing in our societies today. Um, it really is fascinating as well to see, you know, the measures that have been put in place and how people react to them. But just one last question to end up on on a, a relaxed point and perhaps uplifting point, I'd like to ask you a question is, um, tell us about your na favorite nature spot, please, Luke. Yeah, I mean, nature is, has, um, has suffered a lot, but there is incredible spaces left. Um, and that is what I think everybody should be fully aware of, of what there still is to really protect, also strictly protect. And I've had long thoughts about what would be my favorite nature spot, but and it's difficult to name one, but I will do it still. For me, it's the redwoods in, in the Sierra Nevada in California. Those are, for me, still uh, mind-blowing and and. and a proof again of um, yeah of, of nature early nature protection that avoided from these forests to co be completely destroyed because uh, I mean a lot has been destroyed I mean all know it is 80 to 85 percent of the original redwoods have been destroyed but what is there and what is still left is amazing so this is my favorite spot uh, globally let's say I could do, go for a whole list but I think I should also owe you one in Belgium even though you might find it awkward to find the favorite nature spot in Belgium but I just reduce it to, to that area and and even to Flanders because I could go into the Ardennes in Wallonia. But, um, and it's maybe also a nice tip for those that live in Belgium and haven't been there yet, but it's the, the Swin area uh, just uh, north of Bruges, uh, close to the border or at the border with, with Holland, the Swin uh, Reserve. And that is, that is really a very, very beautiful area um, that we have succeeded in protecting even in a densely populated area as Flanders is. You've taken us through um, through the Swin at Flanders, through the Redwoods, but we've also discussed not only nature-based solutions, but also uh, the solutions that redistribution can bring about, as um, more importantly. Um, so it's been really nice discussing with you today in the frame of um, World Environment Day. And um, indeed, it's very much the time for nature, and it's been a pleasure um, to hear uh, your thoughts today. Uh, once again, thank you very much. With pleasure and looking forward to seeing you all in Marseille in January next year at the Congress of ASEAN.
Thank you for your attention. If you found our conversation interesting, do not hesitate to share it on social media with the hashtag FEPSTalks. More is yet to come. Stay tuned. Stay tuned.